Okay, children of Aquarius, it's time for another cosmic happening. We'll try not to harsh on your realm as we bring you, by extremely popular demand, the Beatles! This fight has been a long time coming. Everyone knows about the ugliness that went down recording Let It Be. Since then, the band drifted apart, and they've never had the occasion to vent the anger that's built up over the years. Until now. So mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the baddest beetle of all? Let's see if they can work it out in a little something we call a hard day's fight. I quit. I quit. Breaking up. Guys, guys, I quit. Oh my god. Michael or Diana, can you do the show? Um yes. Alone. No, I quit now. Oh fuck. Fuck up. Well, no, she's gonna start Diana Goodman's laser time <laughs> tour tour county fairs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they Diana the name Laser Time Two. Laser yeah. Time Revival. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yes, well, that was that. What you just saw there was a play act of creative differences. I see. Uh, a creative, uh, Hank, Hank proposed the idea for this episode. Yeah, can, you, can maybe explain a little bit without giving away the. Mm. Well, so, so you know, I'm a big fan of auteurs, but making art takes a lot of collaboration, be it music, movies, television, comic books, all this stuff. Like, it involves people working together. And very good artists also are strong personalities who sometimes disagree. And then when they break up, sometimes you're left in this pop culture void of having to pick a side even or just or at the very least from a distance going man these guys really hate each other I liked them better when they were making fun things <laughs> like so this this is about creative differences that have broken up stuff good nice job I'm glad I didn't have to I didn't bother to try that uh, I'm Chris Antista we have with us Diana Goodman Michael Raparas Henry Gilbert Henry Gilbert and this is our creative differences and also I wanted to start off something that I I had a hard time thinking these. I, I especially liked your idea that you have, like, theoretically now we're in debate class, pick a side. Right. Pick a side. And, and maybe I'm even thinking, like, creating a poll beneath this podcast <laughs> mm. where we list all these and you have to choose a side. Uh, I'm that, to see that. Yeah, exactly. But just, if you had to, I mean, because, like, mostly... We're going to settle them once and for all? Yeah. Mostly. That's your plan? Once well, and no, for no. all, Loggins or Messina. I just, Choose. It's, oh, it's sort of that I'm curious. That's so like, hard. I'm curious to ask if you had to pick a side on certain these certain creative differences, mm-hmm. where you would fall. If you had to pick a side. Most of these, like, most of these, like, I had something written down, like, uh, uh, Ren and Stimpy versus Nickelodeon, or John Krikvaluski versus Nickelodeon, a guy mm-hmm. fired from his own show. Who's yep. right and who's wrong? Well, obviously Nickelodeon's wrong. Um, yeah, obviously, Nickelodeon. It, it made for a better product. He hmm. did push their buttons, but he, he was bad. And he was not finished things. He was he was yeah. bad at business, yeah. but he made a better show. Well, yeah, a lot of times artists don't make good businessmen, and I, I know, think but it's like is, uh, it might be the root of a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And it's but it's like I have Dan Harmon and Sony NBC mm-hmm. fired from his own show, Community. Why the fuck would you ever side with anybody on NBC or Sony? It's well, if we were to talk about Harmon, it'd be Dan versus it'd be Harmon versus Chevy Chase. Yes, yeah. exactly. but we will get we'll get to that later. But what, what I wanted to start us out with because it was recently in the news. Okay, creative differences involving Marvel. Oh, who would Marvel? Edgar Wright. Oh, Edgar, Edgar Wright. Wright. Yeah, Edgar Wright. Mm-hmm. Edgar Wright. But it's it's hardly the first time. Um, 
mm-hmm. that uh, like someone has butted heads creatively with Marvel people who are excited to be involved and I even I, mm-hmm. I, I was researching this a little Darren Aronofsky was on the Wolverine mm-hmm. and wow. they parted though they parted that was ways. a Fox Marvel production not it was. the same as Marvel films it was working on it, but yeah. I, I cannot imagine he turned in a draft of anything mm-hmm. that anybody involved in <laughs> X-Men or Marvel was happy with no it's it's a real tight rope to walk that in the in the post uh, Dark Knight world mm-hmm. And well, actually, this could count. They were making films like this a little before Dark Knight, mm-hmm. but they 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 don't just want to factory produce mm-hmm. superhero films. They do want artistic vision on it, exactly. But they only want so much of it, and they don't mm-hmm. trust it far enough. And so, researching further, um, Alan Taylor and Thor two on Thor: The Dark World, yeah, had basically come out and said, "I didn't have final cut." And he's mm-hmm. and he even said these are things like his quote is I think my impulse uh, is always to sort of trust the audience and not to feed them too directly. But obviously, they're very, Marvel is very successful has a very successful model for these things and seems to work well. So who am I to quibble? Mm-hmm. Even though he's like, I had nothing to do with a mid credit sequence. Like even <laughs> like through through James Gunn under the bus uh, for that. And then more notably, and we it's it's almost old news now. Edward Norton in the Incredible Hulk. Yeah, that he well uh, Edward Norton is. He sounds like a, a difficult actor. A history of having problems with his director. Well, that's on the that's Italian actually. job as well. well Edward he's, Norton? He's, yeah, Edward Norton has a history of that stuff. He oh, doesn't God, actually. American history X. That's his history though. Where he had, no, no, no. The, the director Ital- of that is a is a crazy person. So uh, well, there's that also one the there's also but the Edward Italian Norton's, job. Like he was almost cut out completely of the Italian job. That's probably terrible. But it, it, I didn't even it, know he was in the Italian. Yeah, mm-hmm. but as it turned he out, he wanted go. to be in it. Oh, but because the original the remake, awesome? the remake. It's but, weird mm-hmm. to remember that that Edward Norton did not appear in public to promote the Incredible Hulk because that's mm-hmm. how. Mm-hmm. But it's also bizarre that like that was one of Marvel's first forays into like their own studio mm-hmm. venture, mm-hmm. and then hired Edward Norton to write in the Incredible Hulk. So well, I think and then they of... and then they had final edit mm-hmm. and Edward Norton did not like their edit and the director didn't either. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's only the these days, especially like on something with that big a budget, like mm-hmm. it's just so much money. They're not going to give a director final cut. Like they don't want like it's even if Spielberg was directing it, they'd probably be well, like they turned down Spielberg to get final cut. Like John Favreau. Mm-hmm. Almost didn't come back for Iron Man two yeah. because he wanted like pay me you made a billion dollars off my movie mm-hmm. give me some more money next time and they're like we really I don't that was, want to I saw John Favreau twice in person at Comic Cons like all I want to do is direct the Avengers <laughs> and he's in the he he's in Iron Man three yeah. not directing and like not involved I think he has an executive producer credit he should but uh, we never want to side with the studio however as movie dorks and Marvel dorks. Siding with Marvel on things as a studio is not infeasible. Well, These directors have their complaints. Marvel this has a very strong hand. They have a very that, strong but hand. All, but that's partially why we like them. And that's, that's who, why who are the people that make up this Kevin monolith Feige. of Marvel decision making? Well, they, they did, Kevin Feige they did is say one that, of the top. Like, like, but he was overruled in the Edgar Wright case. No, but this, well, this I had read a whole thing about this recently because. Uh, Right before Cap, <laughs> The Winter Soldier came out, uh, I think it was Entertainment Weekly, but I'm not totally sure. A magazine uh, did a long-form uh, interview with Kevin Feige. Feige. Easy, buddy. Uh, I, well, I, I want to call him Feige, Feige, like Paul Feige. It's Feige. Uh, Paul, uh, Kevin Feige. But there's like, there is a board of directors of the Marvel yes. group, like a think tank that I believe even Brian Michael Bendis is on. But it's like just this collective of dudes who they they then vote like, 
no, this shouldn't happen. This should happen. And and that takes they a lot of dark robes and they're sitting around a round table, maybe. It should be when a secret. Group it all lit the... from below in a dark <laughs> room. When you group it all together, it sort of looks like it because they are the faceless arbiters of what gets put on screen. That's but, scary. But if you want to say, like, well, why is this better? Why are their movies better than most everything else? It's because they have that kind of strong vision overarching for exactly. every movie. Like, when people try to... Uh, imitate them with like what they're doing with X-Men, mm-hmm. what DC wants to do with their films. Like they're not doing the same level of pre-planning mm-hmm. of, of of strong judgment. Like they're not doing all this stuff. When, and when and when I think about like I really would like to see Edward Norton's cut because he he's an editor. He can he I think he edited mm-hmm. he had an edit that he supervised for Incredible. Hulk. I'd love to see his version. Mm-hmm. However, <laughs> uh, Marvel has not done us wrong at this point. It like. Mm-hmm. Though, Shit, I had a I point there. I forgot what I was going to say. I don't say. know. The Hulk film was it's, Incredible it's, Hulk wasn't that great. Like I wouldn't have minded seeing his. Well, uh, the story goes. Liked it. The story goes. Yeah, the, I, don't, I don't. I didn't hate it, but it's still. It's like it's one of their lesser efforts. Yeah. Um. It, it's a smaller scale effort. That's for sure. But it's. I'd probably side with Marvel if I had to choose a side. Mm-hmm. The Incredible Hulk wasn't great. Um, but, every, like just rec- the most recent movie, Captain America, mm-hmm. literally like their ninth or tenth movie. Was phenomenal. Yep. Was way better than anybody expected from mm-hmm. a movie, from a character like Captain America. Yeah. It was really, mm-hmm. really goddamn good. So the idea, like, oh shit, I think I just sided with the studio. I'm <laughs> scared. All right, we should move on. Should we move on? Creative differences? Yep. What do we well, got? If you want to talk about Marvel Comics, mm. then at the core of Marvel Comics is Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. Yeah. And though this uh, also goes to Stan Lee and Steve Ditko, too, that like both of them. Stan Lee and Jack Kirby created basically every, together, are credited for creating basically every Marvel character of note from and up until 1970. Same with, uh, except for Spider-Man, which was, and Doctor Strange, which those were co-created by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. And on both those cases, Ditko more than Stan Lee, or more than Kirby, mm-hmm. they did not get along well with Stan Lee. Like, Stan Lee... Partially, it's because Stan Lee was management. Like, he was the writer, yeah, I'm, the credited I'm writer. Where he, he stood. Well, he. He's, well, the, he's the only real person I had a Marvel card of. Mm-hmm. So I was told from a very young age he was very important to the company. Well, so this. Uh, I'm going to steal this argument from Chris Sims, the writer for Comic Alliance, but that he says that Stan Lee is complicated uh, for comic book fans who know, mm-hmm. who are in the know, because he is both the most underrated and overrated mm-hmm. creator in comic book history. He is overrated in that when you ask regular folks about comics, the only creator they've ever heard of is Stan Lee. And they think Stan Lee draws all the comics. They think, mm-hmm. oh, Stan Lee drew all that stuff. Like, And not that Stan Lee has... Stan Lee doesn't let people... He corrects he, people about that. Like he, he, he doesn't correct... And he does come out like, say, I created. And he never says co-created or with yeah. the help of... But, like, but, I created. And that was partially because at the time he was editor-in-chief. Mm-hmm. Like, he was... He was the guy in charge, and he wrote all the things, and he was management, and he also made himself purposely the front, uh, the the face of the company. Mm. But on the other side, because of he's it, adorable, mm-hmm. I always call him your grandpa's boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> but so on the other side of it with Stanley is that while he maybe like he didn't have as strong a hand in designing characters mm-hmm. as Kirby and Ditko did, and and also the to a lesser extent Gene Colan. Uh, and then a couple other artists from the time, Colin. Or, or Stephen Lieber. But the the point is that like Steve Stanley did 
edit them. Like mm-hmm. he did say, like, no, that's not good here. Put that there. Make Stan, make uh, Doctor Doom say this. I think the Green Goblin should appear in this issue. Like he was doing all that, and then also he was the pitch man for the company. Mm-hmm. While those guys were all drawing all that stuff, he appeared in the in like the uh, letter column of every yeah. book. Answering letters, going like, or Greetings, at least his, true believers. Well, yeah, he was just like he was. He was the man talking up Marvel over and over and over again. Like mm-hmm. he was the propaganda machine for Marvel. A one man, pro- well, not one man, but he was the he was the face of it. Yeah, he their, was the their face. propaganda machine had a face. Even if those great comics were produced, if Stanley wasn't there talking about it mm-hmm. in in every book and making all this. Marvel, pro-Marvel stuff, like, there wouldn't be a Marvel now. But I created Spider-Man. Spider-Man. <laughs> well, so the, di- so the difference... I turned to the camera and said, Jack Kirby's a fucking prick. <laughs> so the two... Cre- so, oh, so, right, sorry. so this comes down to kind of the more behind-the-scenes guys versus the pitchman. Yeah, well, I mean, they were credited on every issue. It wasn't mm-hmm. like they weren't... They weren't yeah. not credited, like, say, what Bob Kane did with mm-hmm. every artist. Like, Bob Kane is a piece of shit. Like, one of, <laughs> one of his main things was that he, a part of his contract was he got credited as the artist on, like, decades worth of Batman books, draw. and he never drew them. So was there a but falling out? There was, in both cases. The first one came with Ditko and Lee. That Ditko is an odd bird. He's a big, he's a big time Randy and one of like the biggest, uh, like Bill Watterson. He is one of the biggest libertarians in the world. Like he loves Ayn Rand. Like he he loves Ayn Rand, Steve Ditko. And he go on to like create the question, the question. And also Mr. A who like Mr. A is, he is a Randian character. He's like, A is a white is white. Black is black. And I will beat you to death (laughs) to make you realize that. Very Rorschach. And that, and that he had these kind of conservative beliefs, which like, but Stanley is a populist. Like he mm. definitely doesn't agree with that stuff. And like there were there were th- apparently bits where like he wanted Spider Man. A story I had heard was that uh, this was Neil Gaiman who told the story that like Stan uh, Ditko. The way the process works, and this is why they broke up. Stanley would have an idea for a story, and he'd mm. say, "Hey, why don't you draw that?" He didn't say like on page three do this, on page six do this. He's just like. Spider-Man should fight Electro, and then they end up at a big electric plant, and then it explodes. And then Spider-Man's okay, and he wins. Then he gives that idea to Steve Ditko, and Ditko draws the entire thing, and then Stanley puts word balloons over it. And in one of those scenes, like, Ditko drew a scene where, like, Spider-Man would be shouting at protesters of the Vietnam War. and then <laughs> But then Stanley puts in the line of, like, hey, you kids, that's groovy. <laughs> <laughs> And then Steve Ditko, to a point, even like as part of Steve, as part of Steve Ditko's deal in the later issues of Amazing, he's like, Stanley will, I will, I will draw whatever I feel like, and Stanley can put text over it later. But he's not involved at the start of it, and I am, I am credited as plotter and artist. And he got that, he got his wish. But even then, he was just like he couldn't stand working with Stanley anymore. Like he just couldn't. He, he and he just gave him a letter like, nope, I'm done gone and just left went to dc like and he's also just a very private person well, like you don't get ex- the only time the only time he's given any type of explanation of why he doesn't like stanley and also steve ditko still lives like he's still alive which makes it very sad that he is not like a public face and like one of the few times he's even like written anything publicly addressing it is that he could not stand that stanley calls himself the creator of Spider-Man or even the co-creator mm-hmm. because in his mind as Stan and Stanley basically backed this up is that Stanley said 
Hey, what if we had a guy with spider powers? Do that. A guy with spider powers. A spider man. And then... And I'm going to go to the Catskills for a couple of days, and when I get back, I want a couple of drawings of spiders on my desk. And so he said, and so he said that to Steve Ditko, and then Steve Ditko spent many sleepless nights designing Spider-Man, creating these side characters for him, building the world of Spider-Man, and then at best he gets called the co-creator. And then he's like, and Steve Ditko was saying, well, then who created Spider-Man? The guy who said, make a dude called Spider-Man. Or the guy who made every character around him and designed his costume and did all this shit. And so <laughs> it does remind. I keep I keep having to say this to you, you sweet people involved in the Laser Time Show. Uh, come up with an idea, like, hey, how about this idea? I'm like, that's cool. You should do it. <laughs> and I've been saying, I, I keep retorting with like, guys, we can't all be Walt Disney, and I'm not the staff, but Walt Disney. <laughs> but now I should just say, guys, we can't all be Stanley. Well, and Stanley, you can't just or propose Steve Jobs. I, Here's an idea: yeah. you do it. <laughs> well, and then Stanley, Stanley's defense to that was, I love his defense. Though. I saw a great, very candid moment of Stanley where they said, like. Stanley first is being super nice in this interview because it, it's his persona now, and I think it's mostly genuine. Mm-hmm. But he goes like, "Hey, if he wants to consider himself the co-creator, Steve Ditko is the co-creator." He's like, "Well, do you consider him the co-creator?" He's like, "No, I think the the guy who came up with the idea created it. I could have given that idea to any artist. I gave it to him, and he drew it. And then, oh, I'm definitely gonna tweet about this. And then, the, and then the person who asked him the question then continues, like, well, but it certainly wouldn't have been. You can't imagine it would have been as successful if somebody other than Steve Ditko drew, drew it. And he's like, then I would have created something that wasn't successful. Like, <laughs> there's a certain wow. logic to that that's yeah. true that yeah in, in his mind he's the creator that he thinks he is regardless yeah. of what Ditko did as so then Ditko like and then same deal with Kirby that but to a much I'm larger more curious about Kirby Look, I said the word spider powers Spi- okay what do you mean <laughs> spider so, powers he, he boils up everybody in a cocoon that's eight eyes so it comes you, out of his butt. You can imagine the office of of Marvel at the time is Mad Men. Like the it is the world of Mad Men. Like it is mid sixties. Uh, Everybody's wearing a nine piece suit. Madison Avenue people smoking and pitching ideas to each other in the Marvel bullpen, and they even have a nice a nice young lady who's their who's their secretary named Flo Steinberg. Mm-hmm. She's she's still very nice. Like hi, I'm Flo Steinberg, and referred to as a mouthy but, dame. Diana. <laughs> but the, in the comics, they would make. Make fun of this, but they would they would draw jokes of Stanley and Jack Kirby getting into fistfights when plotting out yeah. issues of Fantastic Four. But that is not too far from the truth. Like they're them creating books together was arguing and just mm-hmm. saying like, "Now fuck you, fuck you." Like, <laughs> well, that's, that's a why one. And, what the, the subject I meant the most of the episode to be about is that like uh, we're doing versus picking a side of creative teams, and like Jack Kirby actually. Unlike a lot of people who separate from their creative partner, went on to have great success without Stan. Yeah. So then, yeah, Stan. Sorry, I I have talked for so long. Yeah. So yeah. So (laughs) Jack Kirby then. Listen to Cape Crisis. Crisis. (laughs) I'm really sorry, but okay. So anyway, long story short, Jack Kirby gets. (laughs) Thank you. Jack Kirby gets fed up with Stanley. Uh, apparently puts like I quit on a piece of paper and smashes a cigar into it and then walks across the street and starts working for DC he creates the new gods he creates uh, he starts working on Superman and, like, Jimmy Olsen. and he even created a character that is called Funky Flashman 
who is <laughs> timeless. A, who is an <laughs> who is an evil liar mo- a, like trickster oh. who is drawn to look exactly like Stanley. Oh, I'm definitely gonna tweet about this. You probably would have. Kirby eventually came back and worked together with Stanley for a time, but I think it was after Stanley was like creatively doing anything. Though, yeah. Right? But he went back to work for Marvel. And Jack, then, Jack, is an, or Jack Kirby is an enormous body of work. Yeah. Even like like film stuff. I forgot we talked he worked about. On fil- he, he, he worked on uh, <laughs> the fake movie. He, he oh. actually did work on the fake movie. Argo. He worked yeah, on Argo. Yeah, he worked on Argo. Oh, yeah. Nice. But yeah, so he... It, it's interesting. Also, Jack Kirby went to war, too. That's something else about him. But yeah, that he... He he was in World War Two, but anyway. So Stanley yeah, or Jack Kirby. Did, did read a thing about like Jack Kirby defining comics is sort of like if Ed Wood had been given free reign to define Hollywood. <laughs> that, like this is a man who gave us both the Fantastic Four and the Dingbats of Danger Street. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know Jack Kirby was he can all be hits. <laughs> he's not he's not mainstream like like Lee. Like he just. He just went month to month and like, here's my next idea. Here's my next idea. Well, he's just really passionate and just like would throw anything at the wall, yeah. basically. And sometimes that involves, you know, unforgettable characters like the thing or the world of Thor that he built too. that like everybody's trading on. And then other times, like it's a bunch of weird shit. And like <laughs> Stan Lee is a salesman and he knows how to sell the good stuff. Like yeah. he... I it's I, I want to side with Kirby personally just because he is the you do, art, you do, but more I, artistic. I would have before I got involved in what I do consider entertainment and creative industry, and like I kind of feel like I do kind of need a business person keeping me on schedule. And seriously, I, I will go fucking yeah. nuts without. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I ha- I'm having to, yeah, I'm having to give yeah. myself the self control here, and it's it's been a little wacky. Uh, but yeah, people work best under artistic constraints of yeah. some kind. They yeah. can become unreasonable, and you can't do anything. But someone that kind of mm-hmm. keeps—I I, kind of think it's like like an Autopia car, mm-hmm. where it's like you can steer the car as much as you <laughs> want, but there's a rail in the middle, so yeah. you can't go off into the bushes. Well, you, even a painter needs to be given a canvas. Mm-hmm. Like, and, 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 you can't just say, "Okay, paint whatever." The point—the point of all these we bring up should be like they probably made great work apart but made the best work together mm-hmm. that yeah. was yeah I'll, I'll tell one last oh. shortish story of just like shortish you know that <laughs> no so Michael Chabon I believe it's pronounced the, the writer he wrote Cavalier Shaven yeah. he, he wrote Cavalier and Clay he also lives in Berkeley but mm-hmm. uh, but anyway he wrote Cavalier and Clay which is about a Lee uh, a Lee Kirby-esque uh, comic book relationship and I asked him in. I was at a panel that he was. I watched a panel that he was on at a comic book convention. I asked him like, "Well, so where do you, you know, stand on Lee versus Kirby?" Mm-hmm. And then he goes like, "Well, obviously I'm a Kirby guy." And he mm-hmm. then pulls on his shirt that is a Kirby drawing of Silver Surfer, yeah. <laughs> and then he says like, "But I think they were the best together. Like mm-hmm. they were great at bouncing ideas out of each other. You can, if you see what Kirby created, this was him continuing." Uh, he said, uh, if you saw what Kirby created at DC without Stan Lee, while it was good and even great, it was not as good mm-hmm. as when Stan Lee was there to temper it. Mm-hmm. So. And that is our Spider-Man statement. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry to <laughs> talk so hard. All right. Uh, name well, another one. Let's bring it back around to something everyone can get in on, Lennon McCartney. Lennon McCartney this early. Jesus. Um, let's go for it, man. All right. Um, well, it's it's very... No, I'm very easily... Oh, we could do Richard's Jagger, too, if you want. Um, In some ways, they're similar. Are they similar? Well, I, I mean, know, who's obviously... The, who's the writing force behind the Rolling Stones? I would I, say Keith is more. It seems like Keith is more of the writer, I think, Which one? Too. Which one wasn't in Free Jack? 
<laughs> that guy. That guy's the writer. <laughs> yeah, but they had. I mean, it's sort of a similar thing where it's like they, they. It's similar to Lennon McCarthy Rolling that they people. they sort of you know bring out the best in each other, mm-hmm. and that they had sort of a falling out. They just kind of got sick of dealing with each other. They went off and did their separate well, that's, things. That's the rumor with the Rolling and, Stones is like they've never stopped touring. They've never broken up, and like well, they Keith and Mick never of. talk. Yeah, they. I think they just got. I think according to they like making money. Yeah, they they like make they like making money, and they and they can agree on certain things from a business end. But Mm. personally, from according to like Keith Richards' biography, they don't Mm -hmm. they don't speak. Yeah, I'm not surprised by that. Done. But yeah, too much. But I think Lennon and McCartney, like Mm -hmm. they are, they both have they have very different. There there are there are hundreds of books written about this, so there's no way to like (laughs) we are going to end it though here. Say it concisely, yeah. But I. But yeah, they're just—they were both geniuses. Like one of them could have could have led the uh, uh, a huge platinum recording band, and mm-hmm. that the, both of them were in a band together, like is incredible. That those two, but they, McCartney is my—I always felt McCartney's the much more pop-oriented guy, mm-hmm. and Lennon would always go to more artistic places. Though, yeah. like I felt McCartney's uh, like pop is like perfect, and like there's an art to how it's kind well of he crafted those. It's like it's beautiful. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. well, like I felt as I grew up, I liked I liked Lennon when I was younger, and mm-hmm. as I've grown up, I'm like, no, nah, McCartney. And maybe that shows you you're getting old and lame that you like McCartney's <laughs> as long as more. Thank God I don't exhibit that behavior. I when I was yeah. younger, my parents had uh, was it Double Fantasy, the mm-hmm. the Lennon, uh, Lennon Yoko Ono. Ono. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I loved Yoko Ono's songs and hated Paul McCartney <laughs> or hated hated John Lennon's <laughs> wow. songs. Wow, really? Damn. Yeah. Oh my God. We're, we're talking like five or six here. Well, that, that actually <laughs> I think Yoko Ono got a bad rap. Too. Yes. I think it was like, uh, but that's that's neither here nor there. They, but yeah, that they as they went on, like they were just such big personalities that like they came to hate each other. Like, and they just they only well, were, I, I only just, they didn't perform together uh, like for a long time. They only recorded albums. I only just Paul McCartney's lyrically mm-hmm. are fucking nursery rhymes. <laughs> Whereas John, John Lennon had profound things to say. Yeah, but I mean, like, then the, as you grow up, you're like, boy, Imagine is just kind of corny. Like, it is corny, corny, but song. it's like, like, but like the, the I'd balls. rather hear a corny ass song about, like, it's a fun time and it's good. Like, that. It's like, <laughs> I'd rather hear simply having a marvelous Christmas time or a wonderful Christmas time. <laughs> I'd rather uh, hear that than, than Imagine right now. Well, what like, about instant, like Instant Karma? Hmm. Oh, what, the yeah. Is there their hate songs against? No, it's just John Lennon's song. Oh. It's like that's a yeah. fucking fantastic song, and it yeah. sound, it's, it actually sounds like a Beatles song, which not a lot of McCartney shit does. No, yeah. it's kind of a goof. But and his wing songs were great. Like, I were totally disagree. Some of them are really good. Songs. I find Jet. All, I find all those Neapolitan songs with their three flavors slightly unlistenable. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we're poor... so sorry, Uncle Albert. <laughs> <laughs> So, so is that the yeah, one? Yeah, there's ah. so many. Yeah, there's a bunch of wing songs where it's like just a bunch of bits of songs. It's just like, well, I can't finish this, so it just yeah. it's still, a movement of a larger song. Now it's like, look, that kind of worked on the B side of Abbey Road, but Jesus Christ, <laughs> every song can't be that. But yeah, I think like I I don't. They were always credited as like Lennon and McCartney songs too. But like yesterday is a McCartney one, and that's yeah. I. That might nah, I don't want to say it's my favorite Beatles song, but it's up there. And like, I I think if you were to if if it, you were to go on a scoreboard, I liked more McCartney written songs it, than Lennon ones. It's it's also unfair because 
Paul McCartney trots himself out like every six months, mm-hmm. plays Hey Jude, which yeah. I can't fucking stand anymore. I really hate it. I really hate yeah. it. I, hate I cannot. It and it's. A, I know it's a beautiful song, and I know it comes from a beautiful place. I cannot stand okay, it. Okay, now if you want and, to judge them by human being standards, <laughs> that song kind of shows the, the the root of the creation. That song shows you that McCartney is a better guy than John Lennon. Kind of. That yeah. the, the song was written because he's First, like, you're not paying attention to your son. <laughs> Maybe I will take care of your but, son. Uh, well, now. Yeah, but what I'm John Lennon is, became sainted, and he was yeah, well, he, he said, was kind of a shithead. He was a bit of a shithead because he's because he died. Because he died, and like uh, because who knows what the fuck John Lennon would be doing if he still like maybe he would ha- he would be shuffled out as a seventy year old and pushed into Times Square. I feel like he'd be a crazy to... old man that would say things that embarrassed you. Maybe. Yeah, he like, probably have weird conspiracy theories. Maybe. I tried to present this as like, and this is not fair. I'm a Lennon guy. I still, I still like, I still, I love the FBI's watching him. That he had all these <laughs> shitty things to say about the government. To say, and imagine, like, yeah, no religion. How about that? How about we do that? And like, no one had said that in public yet. And <laughs> him, him going on talk shows, but you compare their 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 product as like solo arts. This is totally unfair. You better get yourself together. This is. It's up to you. Come on, yeah. this is John Lennon. Yeah. Oh, I thought that was going to go into the fucking chorus. <laughs> Now who's Poppy, bitch? Yeah, no, that's great. Now who's Poppy? Well, and there was there was a theory I've read on several other websites uh, that that Paul McCartney's greater solo work was all shit. That, like the Beatles had this weird system of what whose songs got on what album, mm. and like Harrison only got like what like two songs an album, pretty much. Yeah. And, and he was definitely limited. So like a lot he's of, the underrated Beatle fan. Yes, but, yeah. And, and a lot a lot of shit. Uh, Although I quite liked Octopus's Garden when I was younger. I guess yeah. all actually, that, Ringo that, does have some good songs. Is, so, what uh, other songs did he write? Uh, uh, the the yeah, friends, exactly. The, 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 <laughs> I think he did. No, he, he, he did do help for my friends. Didn't he yeah. do? Yeah. Didn't okay. he do when when I'm 64? No, that's no. very McCartney. That's oh, that is very McCartney. And here's McCartney's so, solo. How work. old is McCartney now? Much older than 64. Much older. Fucking yeah. crazy old, and he's a billionaire. <laughs> yeah. uh, but his solo work, people have suggested like it was pretty good when it came. But like probably that was shit he was sitting on with the Beatles. And then, like, Maybe. Couldn't, couldn't possibly it. put it. But here's, here's, you ever heard Temporary Secretary? It's great. <laughs> All right. <sighs> I like so, uh, You know, this you, fucking could pay, you could find I said it was way bad. worse Lennon songs. <laughs> I don't know, man. This is pretty bad. Temporary All right, but Live and Let Die is not a bad song. Live and Let Die is fucking that, awesome. That is some Wiggles horse shit. <laughs> Uh, yeah, live and let die is yeah. all right. But, you know uh, what? That you're bringing up a good point. Besides being sainted and martyred, mm-hmm. Lennon also didn't have to live through the 80s. Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What kind of shit would what he have written in that? What 80s? a nightmare yeah. that had to be for the Beatles. Uh, yeah, the same like the shit he would have written in the eighties. Oh then, my god! But yeah, yeah. Go, they would totally be getting into weird dance shit and electronica. And, Maybe oh yeah, he'd what? join Yoke, up. He'd Yoke. join up with Neil Young and do a trans two. It would just be awful. Yoko would have led him into a lot of bad directions. Oh, like, yeah, like no offense uh, to Yoko. Well, not bad. Look, Yoko, tons she of gets a bad. Yeah. She gets a bad rap, but I also they both made mean things to each other. Ooh, like, but I think yeah. I think Lennon had the meaner songs. Like he, gave, yeah. I think yeah. he had a song that was like, "How do you sleep at night?" Oh, like, how fuck, do you sleep is fuck rough. you, man. Like, how do you sleep, Lennon? Like, you've, you've got <laughs> on a big pile of money, on a big uh, pile of cocaine. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, George Harrison. I George Harrison. that was not part of without my wife and kids. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> George Harrison is like he's great, and he has he had a song while those while Lennon and McCartney were writing mean songs to each other, and I forget which of the two of them on one of their solo albums had a cover had an image of a beetle screwing another beetle like an animal <laughs> the insect a beetle screwing another beetle like but here you go no this is the worst this is, this is gonna define George Harris oh fuck you <laughs> oh I love this song when I was fuck this is a fun you. song this well, song is uh, this is one where Weird Al nailed it this song is six words long yep yep it's repeated yeah. and you know it's a cover this song is a cover. It's well, it's also I I saw an interview to with do it to do. All right, Dude, but no, but, put on uh, what is life. That's what is life. No, no actually, we'll, we'll no. Segment with that. I have a I have a specific song I want you to pull up though. As though as Leonard McCartney, uh, pull up the song "Wawa" by George Harrison. Right. It was so I heard this song. I knew this song because I would constantly put on uh, the concert for Bangladesh. I oh, believe yeah. it was that is. It uh, was a great rock concert, one of the best rock concert films of all time. He opens it with his song, and also Ringo is is playing in that show. But every every musician is playing from the seventies playing it. So, but he wrote this song while they were recording their last album, and his, this song is about how sick George Harrison is of those two bickering. <laughs> it's just like let's let's see if we can hear a couple. Let's lines close out with second. We'll be right back uh, with more more debates. everybody welcome to another fantastic week of laser time if i sound so chipper it's because last week was so much fucking fun uh dave rudden michael raparez and hey, even brett elston just decided to kick in and do a bunch of fucking week-long streams on our youtube channel uh laser time network uh it was really really fun i i'm surprised how many of you showed up even for hyper shitty games we were trying to find the weirdest wrestling game ever i think we succeeded Mm, I don't know, you tell me what the winner is. But there's a bunch of that stuff on lasertimepodcast.com. Um, in addition to an article that went up today, it would be Monday, uh, Why Batman is Better Than Jaws by uh, David Cooper. Yeah, thank you, Cooper. Uh, it's perfect for this week of picking a side. We are going to demand. I want If you guys want to chime in and tell us your sides of the stuff we're talking about in the Creative Differences episode, episode that'd be fucking great. And we, we tell you to go to lasertimepodcast.com because we put up a bunch of stuff there. We're still looking at more articles from you guys. Uh, it's just been a lot of fun. Uh, and you'll see different stuff there all the time. You've got comic reviews and, of course, many different podcasts. I don't need to tell you. Well, maybe I do. I tell you every week to listen to Cape Crisis. And it was its 100th episode. I don't know. Something very special happened. And maybe you heard of it. Maybe you hadn't. If there's one you're going to want to listen to... A very, a very bold thing done by a member of Laser Time. That's just, that's all I'll say. But Video Game Apocalypse was also fun as fuck. Continued the silly, stupid wrestling conversation in that direction. Of course, cheap podcasts where there's nothing but wrestling. But I mean, that's vaguely inspired by our Lavaturas uh, Laser Time packs. We ask for your free your support all the time, whether that be going to lasertimepodcast.com and donating or using our Amazon links on the right hand sidebar anywhere in the article. Those are 100% safe and help us if you just shop through those. But the simplest way for you to help us right now uh, is by giving us a donation on our PayPal channel. And in exchange for that, one cent to $4.99, we will give you two commentaries featuring the Laser Time gang. Uh, Those being for the great, I think some of the greatest action movies of all time. Fucking Predator 
and The Running Man. Fantastic movie. The Running Man's kind of corny. Predator is amazing. It is, it is an amazing action movie. And I, I, but I prefer Running Man. It is silly. It's a, it's the 1980s fear of the future. Uh, some of it came to fruition. Some of it didn't. We'll see. Uh, but yeah, that. But if you pay over the five dollar minimum, you will get the no holds barred commentary. The fucking amazing 1989 WWF movie written by Vince McMahon and Hulk Hogan, who's also the star. Rip. It is the silliest movie I've ever seen. It is entertaining from beginning to end. If, the, if I had to pick one movie in the pack that I would watch right now, it would be No Holds Barred. It is so much fun. Wrestling is real. The fans are insane. People die for this art form. It's fantastic. So you can, you can get that by going to lasertimepodcast.com. And up on the top right, you'll see the Lavaduras pack. You can click there, figure out how to get your files. We will send, uh, send you your, fi- your file within about 24 hours. We do it once a day. Uh, so if you haven't got your file, you're free to hit me up on Twitter, Cantista, or Facebook, Antista. You can find me. I'm out there. Uh, or leave a comment there, and we'll try and help you out. We've been trying to help people out all week. We really appreciate your support, guys. You're not only helping the site stay up, you're making sure that we don't dig out of pocket to keep certain things up and maybe put a little food in our plates during this weird time of transition for uh, myself and a couple of other members. So thanks a lot, you guys. Keep listening. Tell a friend. Five star on iTunes. Share on Facebook. Uh, thanks a lot, guys. Later. Players of time, second segment. All aboard! So, yeah, that, that's what is like great George Harrison Baby, don't hurt me. So, yeah, I think we've settled Lennon-McCartney in favor of Harrison. The, I think that's fair. Right. The yeah. best George Harrison song is, is Got My Mind Set on You. Shut up. Because from a previous girlfriend, I won a blowjob. Because, like, you know, this is George Harrison, right? Like, I know the Beatles, and this is not. This is some 80s song. It is. And it's George <laughs> Harrison. It is not. And it's so great. came down to, like, have you ever been paid with a blowjob begrudgingly? <laughs> It's That's so not a much better. Like a really angry blowjob. So yeah. not a good blowjob. No, no, no it's, it's let me get this over with. There's going to be no artistry or flair on my part. <laughs> Let's, what's the most utilitarian way we can do this? Finger in the butt and we're done. Um, oh, wow. Later time, everybody. Um, <laughs> we're talking creative differences. We're picking sides here. Um, um, I wanted to bring up one real quick, just to deviate from music for a second. Because I think mm-hmm. it, music was the easiest place to go because it wasn't it's not a lot of when I get into like movies and TV it's a lot of uh, creators against the man mm-hmm. or a company and the music tends to be like creators uh, against each yeah, other creators <laughs> against one another uh, but this I thought was interesting uh, Pixar versus Brenda Chapman uh, uh, the first director of Brave oh um, the a woman the woman who kickstarted Brave into existence at Pixar was uh, fired from the project and the project was given over to somebody else in this <laughs> case a male director and the internet went crazy but it, um. but, it, but it was like a deeply personal story from this, this woman about a woman that she had written about her relation to her daughter mm-hmm. and uh, 
I think that is what made Brave feel different from most Disney or Pixar films is that I feel like there's so few films that are about a daughter, mother-daughter relationship. Yeah, yeah the like mothers are central. always dead. If yeah, there's a female, yeah, yeah. if a female lead, the mom's already dead. If any, mm-hmm. if anybody's trying to win approval from a parent, it's always the dad. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. men are more important. And, and Chapman has been like, just tight. wanted you to be proud of me, Dad. Is, said 18 million characters <laughs> in 18 million movies. That's so weird. I don't. I can't imagine caring about that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, uh, yeah, but, it's it's and then like recently Disney redesigned Merida. Um, Merida. Merida. Uh, to look more like the Disney princesses, and Chapman came out like, "This is disgusting. I, mm-hmm. That is yeah. not how we yeah. designed the character." I wasn't a fan but of she, that. She redesign. was very tight-lipped about why she was fired and like and like what what happened. And she now works at DreamWorks, so she has a little bit of like, mm. uh, what do you call that? Fuck you, distance. Like, yes, I work yeah. for your direct competitor. Might be making more. I money. can afford to burn some bridges now. Yeah, like I'm never gonna. I, she well, moved from Emeryville to L.A. Well, that's that's sort of like because I am leaning towards Pixar, mm-hmm. and not not over the Brave case because I think Brave. Is pretty terrible. Well, I'm, I think I, it's one of the worst. Pixar it's not movies. their best, and I it's think better than Cars. I think that's because they they got rid of the person whose vision it was and took mm. out things she thought was important and tried to make the best mainstream movie they could so, out of her like a rough template. From some sources, I've heard that like the film what needed to be saved to what it was. What you see now is yeah. a saved version of it, and that it was much worse off. And that like one of the main people they hired for it. Was Steve Purcell like Steve Purcell's really? like he's I wait to save it or he's he's he's, he's one of the final people to work oh, okay, on like yeah. he is I believe a co a credit is a co writer maybe co director no, I well, forget I mean, which but the creator like, is Sam and Max. Chapman did yeah. uh, uh, co accept the Oscar when it won the Oscar for best animated feature but that Steve Purcell was up there mm-hmm. and that he part of it was like him. That I had heard that he had added more of the comedy to it. That especially like the three, the, little, the three little boys were not in it before. Like hmm. that it was that he lightened it some, and that he had put like that he had fixed some things. And so I wondered I too. Like, watch it because I, to me it's the it's it is outside of Cars the worst Pixar movie. Well, the Pixar is usually more interested. Like well, they Cars like, too. Pixar has canceled films because they didn't think it would be good. But, like, but they wouldn't. They've or canceled started Newt. over entirely. Why? Yeah. Why I'm choosing Pixar side on this because they do. They do have a brain trust, and they all sort of get behind uh, making the movies as best as they can. Like John John Lasseter jumped on directing Cars Two because it was in trouble, mm-hmm. and he's and, and uh, Brad Bird did the same with Ratatouille. Yeah, and like unlike unlike live action like movies, uh, directors change hands all the time on animated features. Are oftentimes mm-hmm. co- like directed by more than two people, which mm-hmm. is against the Directors Guild, and the Directors Guild doesn't defend animation directors. So I mean, the Simpsons had four. The Simpsons movie had four yeah. directors. Yeah, it, no, most animated movies have two directors. Like almost all of them. Yeah, uh, almost all of them. And like recently, the Good Dinosaur. Like, did you yeah. notice? Did you notice this summer's the first summer in ten years with no Pixar? This movie? is a year without a Pixar wow. film. Yeah, we're yeah. living in it right now. The, the Good there Dinosaur. There will be two be of them this next year. year to make up for. They fired Planes, the... Fire and Rescue is uh, not geez. a Pixar. Movie? <laughs> it actually is not. It's fucking that movie. To, the fucking. It was supposed to be a straight to video movie where it couldn't bother me. Duh. And now it's in theaters. It be, well, because the first one did so well. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, but anyway, yeah, it's hard to not side with Pixar on that. But it is uh, a little bit. I think Brave would have been a better movie if it was seen through. But like, I don't know. I remember Louis C.K. talking about like Pootie Tang. Like so, like the movie they kicked me off the movie and then directed a bunch of like wrote new scenes and directed a bunch of shit. And the movie still failed. Mm-hmm. And now it's this weird failure. But if it was like <laughs> just what I wanted, it 
may have failed. Well, yeah, no, but he, it would have been coherent. It's nice to have a personal vision. Yeah, exactly. Well, like, I, it, no, I heard him say that he made a flaw. He's like, I made a flawed movie, mm-hmm. and they kicked me off of it to try to make it better. They made it worse, and they should have just released his flawed film. He's yeah. like, it wasn't a great film the way he made it, but they didn't make it better. Mm-hmm. Like, and that that's that I think is usually the case. Like, uh, that, yeah. Well, if I can bring up another movie one, this may be only me here talking. Um, big comedy nerd, the Mr. Show, one of the best shows of all time, mm-hmm. probably my top three mm-hmm. best shows of all time. The Mr. Show movie, Run, Runny, Run. Uh, all of the writers and actors Still hate it. Seen that. Have ne- and they, I believe, they said they made Troy not, Miller. They have not spoken to Troy Miller, the director, who directed like everything on Mr. Show. Now, I've heard recently that Bob has made, at least Bob has made up with him. Like, yeah, yeah, it was just it was interesting to, to like the internet was first coming up and uh, cuts of the movie like bleaked online. Um, mm-hmm. I have a, I have two versions that do not resemble what I own on DVD. Yeah. Um, and the movie never came out in theaters. It was supposed to. And like it was like back in the day, all I could do was follow the Run Ronnie Run website where there'd be like an <laughs> update every. Can you imagine going to a website every day that's updated every five months? Don't say anything about Laser Time. I got it. <laughs> I, I I would get updates when Bob and David would appear on Conan O'Brien mm-hmm. or other talk mm-hmm. shows and. I think they, they were asked, like, by Conan, so you guys are making a movie, aren't you? They and then they it. would just say, like, I think it's right now propping up a table, a new line somewhere. Because they, they, they wrote on their Troy website. Troy Miller had Final Why Cut on it. They wrote, they wrote on their website eventually, like, don't see it. Yeah. We have yeah. disowned the movie. We don't care about it. This uh, is dis- not what we wanted. I discovered Mr. Show pretty late, like, on when it came out on DVD. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, then I was all excited to see, like, oh, they made a movie. Run, mm-hmm. run, run. Oh, it's, it's out now. And then, like, yeah, don't see it. It's terrible. Unbelievable. Let me see this line works. When I get elected governor, and I'm gonna, the first thing I'm gonna do is put all you scum in jail. You know the second thing I'm gonna do? First, send jail. Second, uh, oh yeah, go to the fag store, buy yourself a new mustache. Go to the, the faggot store. Boy, the sound <laughs> goes all over the place in there. Like there was like four uh, different recordings of David ADR-y. Cross. Uh, uh, I think the movie is one of the funniest movies released within like a four-year window around that. Nah. And, and it's you. Nah. I, I've talked to you about this because you take Bob and Bob and David said it sucked. Don't see it. But well, like, it's not just him. It's Scott Ackerman too. Like they, and they, and most of the writers, most of them involved. Because apparently the story was that like they all worked really well with Troy Miller, mm-hmm. and then he took this as this is my big break into Hollywood. And he had uh, final cut. I have final cut. Get the fuck out of my editing room. I don't care about anything else you guys have to say. This is going to go my way. And all of a sudden, this it was a giant collaboration. Like, all the writers yeah, are yeah. in the movie. Yeah. Uh, there's, like, seven writers, and, like, they were all cut out of the editing process. Well, yeah, and, the, and hmm. on, on the commentary tracks for mm-hmm. the show... Mm-hmm. They they occasionally like barely they touch on it just like how fucking upset they are that that movie that that movie and they just go like there's there's a joke where uh, Brian Posehn who mm-hmm. also hated it mm-hmm. that he there when they're watching um, the character appear on the show they're like oh man. Roddy should have his own movie. They're like, you're a fucking idiot for saying that. <laughs> like, he has one of the best lines in the movie. Bob Odenkirk wheels in a cake. All right, everyone, who likes cake? Uh, everybody. <laughs> it fucking cracks me. There's so many lines like that. I, I fucking love There's the movie. There's a good movie I, I, in there somewhere. There, but... It's not a bad movie now, and it's okay for them to hate it. And it's okay for them to tell people not to see it. But I think there's still so many things I enjoy about the David Koechner sucks. He in does not movie, suck. David he's, a, he's especially sucks. good in this movie. No. Fuck you. You're so also, wrong. the problem was that, like, in, because it took so long to come out, 
the parodying oh, so of reality shows is mm. like ancient by the time it was released. I know. Can you like, remember the, like, the last time you saw a reality show on television? Those were practically no. gone. They were now very, it's all just well-written tripe. <laughs> they were very specific in the, the reality Survivor. shows they were doing. Which yeah, is it was still all on. the Survivor mm-hmm. shit. Yes. But also, like, it had some fun stuff. I like I like the Maynard James Keenan song about the fat Asking kid. Fat kid? Yeah, and then also... I loved the um, the bloopers over the credits yes. of like with the Jackie Chan style. Like nobody, <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a Cannonball Run uh, <laughs> joke with a Jackie Chan reference in it. Yeah, hey. it's great. But uh, I think boy. the movie's well worth watching, and I don't care what those guys say. I know they're allowed to be ashamed of it. I they're didn't allowed, like it. I, I think it's I think it's still pretty. You great. can see them editing out good jokes. Like, and when you see the cut things that were cut out of it, you're like. Why wasn't the kick in the C-word song in there? Why not? Why wasn't uh, Jay Johnston going like, a hot dog for a hot show? Why wasn't that kept in the film? Why wasn't their original ending of them... Like, the ending changes so much. The ending makes no fucking sense. Not that this is a point, though, that, no, I, no, no. that I saw Robert Ben Grant bring up about like the Reno 911 film, which is a messy film, too. Big mess. But yeah. that he says, good, like... Good, car- good parts, though. <laughs> but films that are made by comedy troops are always messy like that life yeah. of brian is one of the few that isn't yeah. but even like well there are a series of sketches yeah. basically yeah. with connecting material as and whether or not you can, whether you can turn an actual plot as an overacting yeah. plot like holy grail and life of brian both do holy grail is me- like and even, brain yeah, candy too i love brain candy. oh now that's a breakup like, those guys that. broke those yeah. guys they didn't though they did. And they excommunicated Dave no, Foley. They didn't, though. He was working full time on a sitcom. They hate Dave Foley. Ta- has talked about it multiple times. Yeah. they're like, yeah, get out of it. Fuck you. They, like, yeah. they cut him out of a ton of brain they candy. Did. And I, ha- I have on tape the HBO behind the scenes that shows like six characters so that don't appear scenes. in the movie yeah. that start that are Dave Foley's characters. But he, the, the fact is, when they were writing it, he was off doing news radio. Mm-hmm in the movie had to be made. And they felt betrayed by him doing news radio. Maybe. Like, and, they, and they cut him out of the film. He is they, barely in the film. Yeah. And he, I don't even think he's given a writing credit. They've the made film. up now, Ooh. but also like Bruce McCullough, like they all, they're, they're all a lot of bad, like, I think I've heard Scott Thompson say that Bruce McCullough never thought he was funny and that like, Kevin, uh-huh. Kevin, or uh, not for, for a very long time, he didn't think he was funny. And that, what? And that Kevin and Dave like mostly uh, worked to the uh, to the side. Like they didn't work with, they didn't like mm. working with each other. That's the same deal with Monty Python. Like yeah, when you want break off into little groups, mm-hmm. and then everybody kind of hated Eric Idle, and then everyone ends up kind of. I thought everybody hated Terry yeah. Jones. No, I th- no, I thought they all loved. No, Palin, Palin liked Jones. They, yeah. they oh were yeah, sort of, it was Palin and Jones. Palin and Jones were a team. Uh, Graham and Chapman Cleese. and Cleese. I watched that, and, and Cleese made it sound like Jones was like this strong because he was the first one to start directing afterwards. Yeah, um, and well, he, he got solo credit on one of the movies, and I think joint credit on. Well, he wrote Labyrinth. Well, yeah, the, and he co-wrote Labyrinth. The, the Jones, yeah, the Jones was co-director with Gilliam on it, and they. I think they said I heard them say once that like. When they were on set, they would play. They would the actors would use the two directors against each other. And be like, "Well, Terry, well, Gilliam let us." Terry do this. said we could have pizza. Yeah, and which <laughs> Terry? Uh. <laughs> but that it was also. I I think their differences was that like they. It's like the the very strict British class system coming into it because like. Graham and, and Cleese went to the same university together. I think Oxford. Like, I think they were uh, like they were Oxford, and the other two. Is there were anywhere else? That's yeah. awesome. While Jones was Welsh, and everybody hated oh, him. Yeah, also Everyone a Welsh. Welsh. It's it's well, impressive Cle- to say you go Cleese to Oxford. Broke off yeah. earlier too. while they were still making the show. Yeah, Cleese he left. 
Well, because he is like the strongest personality. Which he said he, he quit because of Jones. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, in the document, in that six-part documentary that oh, yeah. aired on IFC a couple years ago, super good. He said it was because of Terry. Jo- and when he left, Terry Jones became the head <laughs> muckety muck. Yeah. And, but the Terry, but they're all they are all geniuses. Like all all six of them are in their mm-hmm. own way. Like they're all great, and they all make great stuff separate from each other. Like. Yep. Though I'd say if you're if you're measuring who was the best alone, then it was John Cleese because like, Faulty Towers would make him like he wouldn't mm. even need Monty Python to be a, a comedy legend. Like Michael, Faulty Towers is enough. Michael Palin's character in A Fish Called Wanda maybe yes. one of the greatest comedic characters mm. of all time. The, the movie great. is underrated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not just like how funny it is; it's actually so, has so much to say about Anglo-American relations. Mm. It kind of blows my mind. <laughs> Asshole! <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that movie. Uh, Oh, though John Cleese also rules in that movie. He wrote it. Too. Oh yeah. my god, he wrote he's it. So funny. Yeah. Well, I think I think also like Cleese and to a smaller percentage Palin have kind mm-hmm. of moved on. Whereas like I think it's Terry Jones and Eric Idle who still will occasionally tour doing Especially their old sketches. Eric. Yeah. Well, Eric and, Idle, yeah, Eric yeah. Idle mostly. But it's like just watching them now, like doing the old material. It's like fucking write something new. Yeah. This is pathetic. That's that's. But well, I like that these sketches were old fifty years ago. <laughs> I like when Eric Idle like rolls around in the patheticness of. It. He's like, yeah, I know it is pathetic, right? <laughs> and watch Babylon. It's so stupid. Wasn't that one like, of the subtitles of the tour they did recently? Like, what yeah. old farts who can't remember their lines? And <laughs> yeah. It was like shameless cash grab. Yeah, or it, yeah, it was referenced in the title of the tour. The it, Monty can, Python's complete waste of time. Can I se- can I segue yeah. into in, in back into music talking about that? Because like, sure. Mm-hmm. I can think of a well. Do, everybody do reunites for money. For that's music. that's that's yeah. why I, th- I really thought that wouldn't be the case because I, I was using Led Zeppelin as the. Barometer. They're the only ones, but they did. They did reunite, but it wasn't recorded. Yeah. They, they, like, but they as they for a tour, did it. Yeah, for yeah. which is even, even more pathetic. They didn't write yeah. music. They went yeah. up and performed cover songs with new band members. Oh um, well, yes. Uh, and That's I was sort of curious, what, what, are, what are some musical... Um... Well, the police hate the shit out of each other. Yeah, right? but they did reunite. They did, for yeah. money. Well, and they hated each I, other. I'd say the, the benchmark is when your tour is called Hell Freezes Over, mm. and the it's Eagles? all for money, is the Eagles. The Eagles all hated each other so bad. I Except, like, I feel like one of them was, like, everyone was okay with Glenn Fry or something. <laughs> but I don't know anything and that about was, the Eagles. It was all about writing credits. Yeah. It, was, it all came down to money. And they were like, that that one was my song. Like, yeah, but I contributed that part to it. And they just, and they, they all broke off to solo careers. And did they, they ever do anything after Hell Freezes Over? That album was huge. So on, yeah, on that tour, they did. on that tour, didn't they have a rule that they would each be on a separate piece of carpet on stage? Like that they something Jesus. like that. I, like that, everyone got their got to play one. Like of their a fucking songs children's and, show when you're teaching. <laughs> kind of. Everyone gets colors. their own carpet. I'm red. I'm oh. Don Henley. The only one I. The only one I. Yeah, Don Henley. The only other one I know by name is Joe, Joe Walsh. Joe, so, Joe Walsh. And he was like a late edition anyway. Like he wasn't. Yeah, they all had But I like Walsh because he sang that song. In the City? Uh, no. My Nassau. name is Joe. Oh, I hate oh. that fucking song. Life's In the City, me, so. the, movie, the song that closes the Warriors. Yeah. Is, <laughs> yeah, but the Eagles, the Eagles are they're famous Fuck as it. lame. They're like, <laughs> yeah. Though now it's cool. It's cool to say they're lame. Like I feel like the not everybody publicly hated on the Eagles until Big Lebowski. Like, <laughs> once, once the dude said like, yep. I fucking hate the Eagles. Like, yep. oh, I just it became the, cool to like say the that. other band they spend time talking about in that movie is another band where everyone hates each other and Credence? are Credence. Oh my yeah. god. Well, that's that's not <laughs> oh, yeah, everyone hates each other. They sued Fogarty. That's like, more that everyone hates Fogarty and Fogarty is a dick. I, but he also wrote the 
like he, also he was the creative of head of the thing. Yeah. Right, give me another one, Michael. I know you got one. Uh, Dead Kennedys. It, uh, oh, this, yeah. this I'm not. I'm not entirely aware. So, he, the Dead Kennedys parted ways with Jello Biafra, their lead singer. So they kicked him out a while ago. I'm not sure if they kicked him out or if he kicked uh, he them out. He feels like the type what? who would just be like, "I'm gone." Yeah, he's he's kind of a bit of a dick. He went off and did oh, his yeah. own spoken word thing. But I remember <sighs> my reading... friend saw him and st- went, ran on stage and stole his water bottle. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, re- reading a lot we about them in like yeah, we saw them in San Francisco. But mm-hmm. uh, reading a lot, lot about them in the beginning part of the two thousands, mm-hmm. like he was posting stuff on his website about how like yeah, the Dead Kennedys are touring. They're not the real Dead Kennedys. They can't call themselves Dead Kennedys without Jello Biafra. Apparently, they got like the kid from uh, the sitcom The Courtship of Eddie's Father what? to replace no him. Oh shit! Yeah, that's really weird. And wow. So it's like a fucking movie. And and yeah, <laughs> then this this might be apocryphal, but I remember reading that like. In 2001, like, they apparently started a show by saying, we support George W. Bush's invasion of Afghanistan. Are you serious? Yeah, it's just like, the dead Kennedys, The dead Kennedys. Really? The yeah. holiday in Cambodia, guys. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's also, they, I think it was money. Like, I think it was, they wanted to license their songs. Yes. And Je- Jello yes. hates that. Like, yes. He, and Jello sticks to his word. Like, I I knew Jello first for his spoken word albums. Like, my, my friends... Played me his spoken word albums and they like blew my mind. Really? Like now, I think he just. I think sounds, his music is terrible. I think Jello as a, his spoken word stuff sounds very smug. It's and, super like, smug. So self satisfied. He's just like. I mean, when, when you're in your early twenties, so it's like, yes, this is amazing. I'm yeah. learning so much and listening to it. Now it's just like, really, dude? <laughs> Fuck you. You think you're? Fun. I do. Boy, think he's you a think you're pretty guy. funny. Huh? No, he's, 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 he's a brilliant guy. You know, he's he's great. He's he's a fantastic entertainer. But and yeah, I, I can records like. Yeah, I I could totally see that the other dead Kennedys were like, look. We're old. We're not as passionate about this as you. We just want to make money off of our hits. And he's like, "No, that's my I, hit." I, I did read yeah. while researching. That apparently, the Violent Femmes broke up once and for all over. Uh, they licensed the song to a Wendy's commercial. <laughs> oh, Blister the that's sun. right. Yeah. Blister in the I, sun. Yeah. Yes, the song remember, about masturbation. Yeah. Yes, I remember seeing it being like, "My brain and, and is melting." Uh, I know. It Their is employees crazy. are jizzing on the food. That's <laughs> yeah. what that means. Why, well, at least all the Beatles agreed they didn't like licensing their music at all. Like, it's seeing mm-hmm. seeing Revolution they, used for a Nike ad. Yeah, like, and, well, that, that's actually I think that's a funny story. How they lost the rights on a lot of that yep. stuff. Was that the to rights, Michael Jackson? The rights were coming up, and uh, that was right around the same time Michael Jackson and Paul McCartney. The song rights, did, not the master's no, rights. No, song rights. The song rights. The, Paul McCartney recommended to Jackson to right. buy music libraries. So he yep. bought his. So he bought the Lennon McCartney one, <laughs> which he said, which he said was it's supposed to be a tribute to you. I, and McCartney's like, yeah, yeah, a tribute to me. Does it come in the form of a it's, check? It's just business. Like, well, there's business, and then there's friendship. I did. Uh, I remember. Yeah, that is a creative breakup. They worked. They were friends. They I do remember hearing whoever Michael Jackson bought the the rights from had sued Sesame Street over a parody. So if you want, if the hallmark of the most heartless corporation in the world <laughs> are the people who sue the children's show on public television. <laughs> and, and like, so once Michael Jackson bought it, I think the writer of the song said, like, we, Jackson just decided to end it. And I think we wrote him a check for like 150 bucks and just to end it, to end it forever. Well, yeah, speaking and of he's law- like, But yes, I got to write a check to Michael Jackson. It was great. <laughs> speaking of lawsuits, there what? was also the Smiths. That's what I was going for. Uh, they're my new barometer for Led Zeppelin because really? they're, they're the one. They it's been never, 30 years. And like, and like they look like they're not even ever going to be close to reuniting. Fuck and it. they're also alive. Yep. They're also alive. And like, but more, well, Morrissey is an odd duck. Like what I say is he, def- and he, but he doesn't need a reunion. Like he can make 
Like he's not desperate. Like he doesn't need yeah. that money, and so he's like, "Fuck this." No, I don't need he, this. a Twitter account claiming it was Morrissey came out, and it was national news. <laughs> Morrissey is on Twitter, and I want to like like peek over and look at him like these twenty year old kids who listen to our show. Like, yeah, hey guys, you guys you have any idea who Morrissey is? How is that even possible? <laughs> Didn't your brother have something interesting to say about uh, Morrissey's demographics, Diana? Yeah, yeah, my brother said that, and then uh, our friend Joe said that too. That was like. Like cholos have really gotten into Morrissey. <laughs> it's like yeah, you go, no, they do. You, yeah, you, you go to a Morrissey show and you expect to see like all disaffected white teenagers <laughs> with like eye I... makeup on, and there's a bunch like a huge young Latino wow. following, like twenty year old guys who look like they showed up in Lowriders and lots of real stereotypical cholo stuff. Yo, what's up, SA? Is that charming young man? Yeah. Young man, hey, how soon is that. now, man? <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I need to know. <laughs> But no, the, I mean the other members of the Smiths did stuff too. Like it wasn't all Morrissey. Like, no, it's Morrissey uh, the, the, the one of the Johnny Marr. Johnny Marr, like kind of. He, well, he claimed that he, they quit because Morrissey just wanted to cover sixty songs. That <laughs> doesn't not sound like it. <laughs> I also read a whole book about uh, Husker Du. Like they had a pretty bad breakup. I read Bob Mould wrote a whole book about it. But, that, but he wrote an autobiography. And get that's to that in a second. It. But going back to the Smiths, just to make it relevant to this conversation or the topic of the show. Uh, who do you know who was? Are there creative differences? Well, yeah, there's creative differences. Are there two figureheads? In the I think Smiths? it is Johnny Marr and and Morrissey. And ha- w- yeah. out of what you've read, who would you side with? Uh, I think Morrissey was frontman and also a songwriter. Mm-hmm. And I think based on his background of songwriting, mm-hmm. like I would go with it. Like what he did since then, mm-hmm. I would go more with him. But uh, but I think it, I might be going the with more, more public music. I did. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I just I, I'm not as familiar with Johnny Marr's background. Well, meanwhile, Me too, like I like how soon is that was a formative song for me. Like mm. I love that song mm. so much, and like Meat is Murder, like all all that shit. Like this makes it great. Is. It really is <laughs> delicious. So I would go with I don't know if you guys, but who's gonna do? Who's gonna do? Go ahead. Okay, who's gonna uh, who's. I- know nothing about Husker Du. No, I don't either. Husker Du was a very formative, like, um, I wouldn't even say hardcore, like post-hardcore mm-hmm. punk band. And they're like a very, a very like uh, influential band. And they were a trio of dudes. And in Bob Mould's book, was he, Bob Mould was one of the principal songwriters, along with two other guys whose names I can't remember. But uh, in the book, the guy, Bob Mould frames it as like, there was this one guy who was lucky to be our drummer, and we could add any drummer, and he didn't write shit. And then there was the other guy who wrote some things with me, and then it was me. And when they were when they decided to break up, they're like, Bob Wold's like, I don't need this shit at all anymore. I'm going to write all this other stuff I want to write. And then the other two just are like trying to sue him or trying or trying to get him to release like live albums. There's like, let's release another live album. We we want money. He's like, I'm, I can make money off this other shit. I wrote I wrote Sugar. Uh, he had a band called Sugar Bob Mould did, which was great afterwards. Mm-hmm. Like, and uh, he wrote a bunch of all these other songs. And then he can't. He says like now he can't even listen to Husker Du songs. Like he's just like it's there's there's too much too much old negativity wrapped up in it. And hmm. yeah, that. That uh, I'd say I would definitely side with Bob Mould on that one. Right, does anybody have any others, or, um, or do you want me yeah. to bring up a change of pace? Oh, I got Go one. Ahead. Fleetwood Mac. I don't know anything about that. Well, well they well, like they, fucked they, each they other. They all yeah. fucked each other. They, they they basically all cheated on each other mm. with each other, mm-hmm. and just it was like a wife swap. Isn't, isn't that what Abba did up. too? I Abba definitely so. I a, a divorce yeah, caused it. Guys, yeah, now we're just talking about they were two couples, and then they were. Divorced. They, they, they and then divorced they and then other. they didn't they like wife swap basically. I don't remember 
if they swapped or just everyone got divorced. They were offered something like a billion dollars to reunite, to reunite yeah, yeah. and wow. they refused. Mm-hmm. They they all Jesus just Christ. like fuck this shit. We're gone. Well, I but, said it was Stevie Nicks on that one. Yeah, but is, <laughs> well, it, so, yeah, is Fle- it contested Fleetwood Mac who, who was the like, creative person is in Fleetwood Mac? Yeah, that's Lindsey Buckingham versus on, but he's Mick like Fleetwood. Not really mm-hmm. part of the band, or he wasn't initially part of the band, right? He's not an original member. He's he's fucking great. I I want to think he came in with Stevie Nicks because they were together first, Mm. and I think they joined the band. Because he, I thought I read that he like bounces in and out and yeah, the band. Yeah, well, that's a lot of that was creative differences. Yeah, he's he's an he's an amazing guitarist. Yeah, no pick guitarist, finger finger picking guitarist. He's fantastic. Um, yeah, and Mick Fleetwood's a pretty good drummer i think Lindsey buckingham's the better songwriter too stevie nicks is writing her own mm-hmm. songs a lot of mm-hmm. which are awesome too and then yeah they she and Lindsey buckingham were together then she started fucking mick fleetwood behind it back and then john and christine mcvee started fucking other people and everybody's cheating on everyone and it was chaos but dogs and cats rumors. living <laughs> together and but they're, and they're they also responsible for up. landslide the most annoyingly covered song of all time and it's i fucking right. can't stand Beautiful. i'll never I'll, do i'll throw something at a radio if it comes on i can't stand that i shit. almost sang it i Ugh. we've done karaoke recently I would have like i wanted to sing all these maudlin songs but it was like no man it's it's party time oh, let's just have so... fun i'm like i want to sing some sad songs how like would the one so time I, how would you have sang it like billy corrigan or fucking adam duritz or no i picked a edge of 17 I remember how, once I picked a song. How much and, do I have to pay you to do Edge of Seventeen? Okay. I would love to hear that. I do. I, I love singing. I love yeah. singing. But so I, just yeah. like singing. I tried to do like Death Cab for Cuties. I will follow you into the dark. And the second it started playing, like <laughs> one of the people said, "Like who fucking picked this?" <laughs> and then Carolyn was, was like, name? "Then Carolyn was like, yeah." Bleh. And I was like, "All right, skip it." She's sorry. All right, all right. Here, here's a collaborative team. I want to know what you guys think of because, and also because, as far as my research went, I couldn't find why they parted ways. Mm. Don Bluth, Steven Spielberg. Hmm. Oh. So when we were growing up, um, Disney had their first real competition ever in the form of American Tail and The Land Before Time. Both incredibly. The only thing I'd find is Don Bluth saying like, "American Tail was a great experience." Steven said, "You need more time. You need more money. We can mm. do that. Anything you need." And then I think George Lucas jumped on board for Land Before Time, and he's like, and it was just all micromanagement, and yeah. everything was impossible. Yeah, it's not it's not hard to hard to imagine. Yeah, I I think Don Bluth, I I don't know why he he quit on that, but I think he just quit animation just because it was. But that's, he, he got old, and he got old, and it's a young man's that's game. That's why he. he Go, comes around like uh, do interviews whenever they re-release fucking Dragon's Lair on a new platform. Holy mm-hmm. shit! There's something with a screen on it. Let's put Dragon's Lair there because there's barely a game. <laughs> but you know, yeah, he'll he'll do interviews, but like it's a young man's game animation. Like it's very demanding yeah. work. And then second, that like it is too corporate. Like or not? Cor- well, yeah, it is corporate. Like it costs a lot of money to animate things, and his style of animation is not in vogue. I, I thought. I thought if he, he kept making stuff well into the eighties. He did. Do, like he, all dogs go to heaven. Exactly. His yeah. last film what was I Anastasia. Had, and oh, I don't think that was, he did that with Fox. If you look yeah, at their their, their product right. post breakup, mm. um, Secret of Nim already existed. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, it's awesome. And then uh, Don Bluth had All Dogs Go to Heaven. And yeah. I don't. A Rockadoodle. Ugh. I like actually Rocket Doodle's not bad, and, uh, and it, it looks terrible. 
<laughs> it sounded terrible. Yeah. It's, I don't know. It's a fun. I I like it. it. Look, it is a musical. I love musicals. That's, mm. There's no denying that. But uh, uh, and then on the Amblin side, we're back a dinosaur story, and then a long time, and then fucking Balto. I, I feel like it just disparaged Ooh. Balto, never having seen it. Well, yeah. But, well, it went into DreamWorks animation. Like Amblin yeah. just became DreamWorks. Mm. Like. Boy, just imagine like but uh, that's the DreamWorks it. machine behind Don Bluth. Like that would be God, that would have been so good. Which was directed by Simon Wells, the great what? or grandson of of fucking H. G. Wells. Right. Huh. And now he like he's a major animation director. I, I was shocked to learn that. It was yeah, he directed he directs a ton of stuff for like DreamWorks um hmm. and stuff. I, I just remember that he directed the shitty time time machine. Movie. Oh, the, the more recent the Guy one. Pierce one. Yeah, and everyone and he was like, "Well, I've got animation experience. P.S. Great grandson Ashley Wells. I That's remember, pretty bitching." I remember. And I liked the movie that. is really. Dumb. I liked it. I totally. Really I saw dumb. it once. I saw but it once. Jeremy Iron shows up as evil Edgar Winter. I what the once. fuck? I know. I, I, I don't hold me to that. Ah. I don't know if that's the case. No. If if it's if it's any good, I have it's no idea. Horrible. Um, very good. David Lee Roth versus Van Halen. Oh, Jesus Christ. Eh, that's a tough how, one. How, yeah, how do you pick a side? Because everyone's such a dick. Everyone, They're all dicks. That's the best way I've heard it phrased. Everyone sucks. Yep. Mm-hmm. Everyone yep. sucks involved. I don't want to listen to a Van Halen song, and I definitely don't want to fucking Stay. listen to this. I'd like to talk to you a little okay. That's what all the people say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's shaking his head, closing his eyes. Hey. means I have to keep playing it. Yes, it's side with Eddie Van Halen because at least he's a genius. Mm. At least he's he's good at the guitar. At least he's good at what he does. Yeah, but and married to Valerie Brunelli, so that's uh, cool. Yeah, but that's uh, <laughs> yeah, great. He gets to go to all the premieres of Lifetime movies. Good for you. Well, also, I mean, you see that like Dave, when David Lee Roth, like, what was his first album? Uh, it's all just covers. Crazy like, yeah. it's shitty. It's California Girls. Yeah. They're like, and also, um, you know, Sammy Hagar's like, Sammy Hagar's better than he as spent a dude. more time with Van Halen than, yeah. than David Lee Roth. And he's better as a dude than. And than they, they made a phenomenal anyway. Crystal Pepsi commercial. <laughs> <laughs> it was really good. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> no, I, yeah, David Lee Roth is kind of a douchebag. Have we exhausted this? Uh, Biggie and Tupac. That's one we haven't talked about. But they're not creative mm-hmm. collaborators. They did collaborate. Did they really? Point. Yes. Mm-hmm. And they were bo- they were bros, definitely. Yeah. yeah and then and then that it culminates with "I fucked your bitch, you fat motherfucker," which is one of the angriest songs I have ever heard in my <laughs> it's life. Called "I fucked your bitch." Yes. <laughs> God, I sound, I sound so white. <laughs> it's called "I fucked your bitch." I fucked your bitch, you fat motherfucker. <laughs> and they sold the it title in of the stores. Song. <laughs> yes. Oh. Don't we, don't we have any others that aren't? I feel like we have done a lot of musicians. What about Dan Harmon and Chevy Chase? Just quickly. <laughs> I saw with Axl Rose. I don't know one. why I have. I have two. <laughs> oh, it's the Chevy Chase show. Fuck that. I have two oh. Chevy Chase things. But yeah, Chevy Axl Rose and Buckethead. I, I oh, thought it was very, totally side of Buckethead. I thought it was very funny that like Dan Harmon was seen as the problem there that they had to get rid of. He did uh, a fucked then, up thing though. He did. He did. No, yeah. he's yeah, outrageously. He, you should not play a private. Voicemail to people, but that's he literally because, thought it wouldn't go anywhere else. But that's because Dan Harmon is and that's a self-destructive he, alcoholic. Yeah. <laughs> he got in Chevy Chase's face during a party in front of Chevy Chase's family. Yeah, yeah. And, and I understand. And like Chevy also, Chase, by though, all accounts, is is a intolerable, an unhappy, yeah. like, hate-filled human person. being, like yep. awful. 
And that like that's why Bill Murray like rightly hated him for mm-hmm. decades. Like, they got they got in a fist fight. They did. A Caddyshack, right? No, no. I, when he no, came back to host SNL, SNL. Oh, that's no, that's right. Chevy Chase left. They brought in Bill Murray. That was in Live from New York. Wasn't yeah. It? yeah, and they, they got into a little like a literal fist fight, which mm-hmm. I kind of like since Bill Murray's kind of short. Mm-hmm. And Chevy Chase is really tall. Yeah, the Chevy's mm-hmm. got you know he's got back problems. So. I didn't mention I had a quote from uh, Harry Shearer about quitting Saturday Night Live, hmm. and he said it was due to creative differences. I was creative, and they were different. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the Chevy. I think the fact that Chevy was fired after, like, when Harmon was gone, Chevy was still a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. That, that mm-hmm. shows that Chevy was the problem, not Dan Harmon. And according according to recent legend. Chevy Chase appears in the opening of the fifth season, mm-hmm. but the the stipulation was that Chevy Chase was not allowed to appear with the cast members, mm-hmm. so he appears mm-hmm. as a hologram. Right. And I love that. I love that. that it's great. And, also, and, the, and the Dan Harmon, even after all this shit between mm-hmm. each other, Dan Harmon's like, hey, I've got a funny idea for a joke, and that Chevy should be there. And then he calls Chevy, and Chevy's like, that is funny. I will do it. <laughs> and, that's, and that's why I'll never side with Chevy Chase on it, because the whole time he's like, this is awful. This is uh-huh. horrible writing. I'm like, mm. you haven't written anything in 30 years. Yeah. You this think is comedy the, is the same the, as it was in 1977? This is the best written comedy on television. You're in no position to judge any of this. Mm. Ju- you have the body of work that says, ha, this guy doesn't know what writing is. <laughs> this guy <laughs> doesn't know what good writing is at all. I saw him in, in one of the extras on this, I think on the season one and two DVDs, um, Dan does an interview with each of the yes, cast members. An exit interview. An exit interview. Mm-hmm. And so when he was doing it with Chevy, Chevy on one of the seasons was just like, you know, I've come to like it a little bit more. You know, I've actually had a friend, a couple friends tell me that it's a real funny show. And uh, and then Dan. Had no friends. And then Dan Harmon says like, oh. I can't oh, judge who? it myself. Dan Harmon said like, oh, who said that? Harold Ramis? Was it Harold Ramis? <laughs> Did he compliment me? Well, he was, Chevy was public about like, I think the, sh- the show I'm working on is horribly written. Mm-hmm. And that's a terrible thing to say if you're promoting a show. Yeah. And, oh. and you're just wrong because it's community. That's <laughs> another one. Bill Murray and Harold Ramis. Like they, oh, uh, fuck. After Groundhog's man. Day, they they had a breakup. There was a fascinating uh, I don't know, like thesis on that recently in that they hated each other because it began to get around Hollywood that Bill wasn't good without Harold Ramis. Mm-hmm. Which either, I don't think is true. Either writing... It looks like it's true. No, no. I yes, think he, it does. No, I think Bill is very good when he has my my friend Bill. I call him by his first name. I think, <laughs> I think Bill Murray is good just when he has any auteur directing him. Like he needs Jim Jarmusch, who works with him a ton, uh, Wes Anderson, and Harold Ramis. Like he needs a director, but he but those works aren't within those things. comedies. Though the comedies that Bill Murray Murray is known for, mm-hmm. that he came up with and became famous for, are all. Written and saved or salvaged by Harold Ramis, all of them. It has nothing to do with him being in the film. <laughs> the man who knew too little is not bad. He was he was he was given the starring role, the co-starring role in Stripes to save that. That was how they got Harold Ramis aboard. Well, Harold Ramis, well, yeah, though he Harold, didn't want Harold to do it. needed. The, okay, you want to talk about what people did at, without each other? What did Harold Ramis make without Bill Murray? Year one, Ice Harvest. Yeah, year fucking one, Ice Harvest, which was not that great. Stewart saves his family is fucking awesome. All right, bedazzled but, remake, bedazzled remake, yeah. which is not as bad as it's not man, as bad it's as actually, people think. So we're not we're not going like this pre rush. You don't want to go into Bill Murray's pre rush. Start in Baby Boom. Bill Bill Murray's pre Rushmore, oh, God, that's uh, right. Operation uh, <laughs> Operation Dumbo, Dumbo Drop, uh, the man who knew too little, uh, larger, knew too than little is not as oh, larger than life, as bad as it seems. 
Uh, quick change. I love quick change. What oh, don't knock quick change. I love quick change. Quick wait, change also was me in Shakespeare. Groundhog Day. Oh, wait. We, Mad Dog and Glory? Yeah, Mad Dog oh, and Glory. Yeah. Uh, Biggie, Biggie and Tupac did Razor's not work together. Razor's Edge. Oh, the racers. He was in in Ed Wood. He was really good in Ed Wood. Say what, Harold, analyze this. Yeah, Uh, fucking analyze this. Analyze this is fine. The first two are fine comedy. It's analyze that. Analyze that that is the first time, like, I... Like, I, I, I pirated it, and I remember, like, if I paid for this, I probably would have asked for my money back. Billy Crystal fucking sucks. He doesn't like, he always suck. Oh, no. Doesn't always suck. He has not been good since soap. I'm going to say that right now. <laughs> nice. Uh, what not, about SNL? Oh, what I mean, I don't know. Eddie Murphy, Eddie Murphy hates everybody on there. Man. And uh, Harold Ramis did. I think same, too, with... Uh, did Eddie ah, Murphy ever break up with one of his brothers? Possibly. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Harold Ramis, to his credit, uh, multiplicity. Uh, no, all right. Uh, National Lampoon's Vacation. Well, I think yeah. I, I think for Harold Ramis, the problem was that post uh, Groundhog Day, that he just had to keep. He was kind of stuck in his own Groundhog Day of making high concept comedies. Like he couldn't make any down to earth comedies anymore. They all had to just be like. You know this. Uh, oh, this is another crazy thing. He made that, year like, one, but he also directed a bunch of episodes of The Office. Good ones. Yeah, yeah. Lots of people directed episodes of The Office. Not as many as you think. What you Joss Whedon? Joss Whedon, Paul Feig, uh, the Russo Joss brothers. Whedon directed episodes. Joss of the Whedon Office. directed episodes of The Office. Paul Feig, the Russo brothers. Jay Trandusakar. We should. We should. We should end this. We should end this. But anyway, well, just. Bill Murray and Harold Ramis did make up before Harold Ramis died. And when yeah. Bill Murray did a... I heard they didn't. Well, I had heard they did. I heard they did I not. I heard they did. But the, when, when Bill Murray gave a shout-out to Harold Ramis that, during the Oscars, that was a very touching That moment. was pretty. That was, yeah. It was pretty, especially if you knew that they didn't... I don't think they made up or talked. There, I, there, there was a New York Times piece I, about, right. about him trying to get Bill Murray on his one of his final movies, The Ice Harvest, and mm. being Bill Murray, never returned his calls. Yeah. Refuses to be involved in anything Ghostbusters. Uh, no, he did the enough. movie. There's such a he did the game. He did the he did. game. There's a very sweet story Bill Murray does I about love story. on on David Letterman where he's talking about doing Ghostbusters. I told this story. I like, tell it better. All right. <laughs> <laughs> he was on Letterman telling the story. I'm doing the Ghostbusters uh, game. And I'm oh man, this is this is fun. Be back together and the music's in my head. And then I'm just walking down the street because I'm the songs back in my head and like. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> Who are you gonna call? And then somebody saw me singing that and looked at me like, "Get over it, pal." <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just thought it was that story. How strange is it that that's your reaction to seeing Bill Murray? <laughs> yeah. Get over it, pal. Really? I mean, really. At this point, with with whatever the fuck Bill Murray is doing on the internet uh, and like life bombing, yeah, is that, that is that accurate up. to call it? Bill Murray will just show up and be in your thing. It just um, warms my heart that, that Bill Murray, like, that he could enjoy Ghostbusters. He's like, oh, yeah, I had fun. He seems like such a, like, he seems like a humorless grump so much of the time. Mm. Like, that he's like, oh, well, I remember something fondly that I, that you enjoy. I think he may have an accurate, uh, an accurate uh, vision of what Ghostbusters 3 is. Yeah. A yeah. bunch of his friends about to turn 70 and trying to cash in on something, and he mm-hmm. doesn't want any part of that because mm-hmm. he doesn't need to. Because Wes Anderson is going to put him in any movie he wants. <laughs> well, he's also that's, probably. That's what Ghostbusters 3 should be about. It's about them trying to reunite to make money well, off of their Ghostbusting operation, and he doesn't. Venkman doesn't want to be in on it. That's because Venkman has gone on to better things. The rumor was that he said he wouldn't be in it unless he's killed and can be a ghost. And like, 
Why wouldn't That's Why wouldn't seven great. green lights go off? Yeah, yeah. Well, that sounds is, hilarious. Is, is, well, now because you, then you can't make a sequel, but you can because he's a ghost. He's a fucking ghost. ghost. He can be forever. Well, it's really because well now it's probably more so because he disliked Harold Ramis. Like that's why he didn't want to act in a film. Well, you can't make Ghostbusters without Egon though. That's weird. That's what the animo- like the animosity was. That they said that Harold Ramis thought Bill was pretty difficult to work with. I bet but he the, is. The, 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 I bet that he Bill is. had resentment because everybody was giving him the opinion that he was nothing without Harold Ramis. Mm-hmm. And his best movies are Ramis movies. Definitely, comedically, they're his definitely. best. I would say, like, as straight comedies, I think like the uh, I love Wes Anderson. Yeah. I think he is hilarious in Rushmore, Rushmore but it's yeah. not a traditional comedy. No. It's not. And Life Aquatic, ha-ha Life Aquatic is awesome. He fucking rules in Life Aquatic. Yeah. And I think it's because like Wes Anderson gets Bill Murray, and then Bill Murray's a miserable human being. I think, <laughs> and I love when that comes out of his characters. I, I love. When, I don't think he is when Peter Venkman. There are scenes in both Ghostbusters movies that feel a very... They feel like they're ad-libbed to me of him just, like, Venkman talking about how unhappy he is and how mm-hmm. that unhappiness ruined his relationship with Sigourney Weaver. And that, like, you... he's I think Sigourney Weaver says something to him like, I couldn't possibly hate you any more than you hate yourself. <laughs> anyway. Aww. Well, who can't relate to that? I know who can. Laser time. We hate ourselves more than you do. Um... <laughs> Yes, you can find out more at podcast.com, fun articles. You can donate via PayPal. We appreciate everybody using our Amazon links to their Amazon shopping. You don't have to buy anything directly in those links, but it sends you into Amazon and lets Amazon know we sent you there. You can buy anything you want, and it gives us a tiny commission. Um, we're just trying to... Uh, I'm actually trying to put food in my mouth at this point. Um, <laughs> so don't don't be uh, don't skimp on that charity. Um, you can find out more at podcast.com, of course. Hey. And there are... Uh, other podcasts there, Cheap Popcasts, uh, uh, The Wrestling Show, and DG Empire, um, the video game music show hosted by Brett Elston. And also Cape Crisis, the comic book podcast. And mm-hmm. I wanted to say, Chris, they're not putting food in your table. Uh, they're not putting food on your table. They're putting vape in your lungs. Yeah, it's, it's, it got me through yesterday without realizing I didn't eat anything for a 24-hour Feed period. the Chris. Mm-hmm. Puppins a day. <laughs> <laughs> Also, Video Game Apocalypse, which is a show about video games. And it's hosted by a raccoon, so listen for that. <laughs> Damn right. And I'm closing this out with uh, with John Lennon's Whatever Gets You Through the Night. It's a fucking great, <laughs> great song. Uh, dated as hell. It's fantastic. Diane, any, any plugs? Nah. No? <laughs> All right, guys. We've been Laser Time. I'm the best. Not Henry. Fun. <laughs> Whatever gets you through the night. Your life.